When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Rodgers. Lazard. And Alan Lazard has a Packer touchdown. Four touchdown passes today for Aaron Rodgers. Alrighty then. That was a week one of Vikings football. Kind of. That's all you're going to play for highlights? I don't understand what you're doing. I mean, if you want. I mean, there was so much more from that game. Rodgers throws and a touchdown to Vontae Adams. Too easy. Three today for Aaron Rodgers, and two have gone to that man. Is that, is that enough? Can we, can I haven't we, heard of Vikings we, player's name yet. Can we be done? Uh, All right, this is Kirk Cousins explaining why he threw a 40-yard pass on fourth and three <laughs> to their fifth wide receiver. No, the safety was leaning over to Adam, and it was in the short. Yeah, I'm sure he was. Yeah, it's great. It was a safety. No, the safety was leaning over to Adam, and it was in the short field, and so the combination of it being the boundary and a safety cheating that way I don't love throwing go balls where a safety's moving over the top, so that was why I went to uh, to Tajay. I'll have to watch the film to get a better feel. Yeah, just watch, go, watch back, just go, go ahead and watch okay. that film. Let's go, watch, yeah, that let's film. go watch the film. Before we start, can I just ask a quick question? Hmm. How is a guy who was wired not to be concerned of the greatest pandemic to come along in 100 years concerned about a safety slightly rolling towards his best receiver? You're either risk-adverse like Judd Zolgad or you're not. Uh, I think I think if you're gonna try and if you're gonna try and use Kirk's mask comments as like a no, backbone for is, analyzing his every move on the field, it's gonna be a I'm long season is, for you. If you're gonna say to hell with it, I'm gonna take some chances in life, then throw it a Thielen. In general, if you're sort of torn at all between throwing a pass to Adam <laughs> Thielen or Tajay Sharp, a safety rolling over the top in that situation is probably not going to deter me from throwing to anything. Just my two cents. Kirk Cousins' actions on that play are the actions of a man who does not wear one, not two, not three, not four, but six masks when he leaves the house. <laughs> so uh, we will get into it, and we are bringing back the pie chart of blame slash praise, and you can guess which one we're choosing today after just a terrible Vikings loss. Plus, we will break down a great twin series like it's a football game. And uh, we'll do all that in just a second after we say hello to Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Federated has been helping business owners in the state of Minnesota and across the country for a number of years. Not only a number of years, like 100 plus years. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota. It just helps so much during any year, let alone a pandemic year, to have an insurance company that gives you peace of mind as you navigate the challenges of running your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. And remember, at Federated Insurance, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. 
These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Well, I think we made too many mistakes, obviously. Uh, we didn't cover them very good. Um, you know, and then we gave up some big plays. So uh, probably more upset about the jumping off sides on third down, which we know Rodgers is a great hard count uh, guy. You know, probably wouldn't happen if we had fans in the stands, but that's 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 no excuse. And uh, we let him out of the pocket, which we know that when things get out of when he gets out of the pocket, bad things happen. All right, boys. Well, the Vikings season is officially underway. No preseason games, barely any offseason practices, a crazy, weird pandemic year. And so leading up to the noon kickoff yesterday, I think everybody in Jub was at the stadium. We did a video version of Vikings Vent Line. That's a lot of V's in one sentence that you can go find on demand on the Purple Daily Podcast feed or at YouTube.com slash Purple Daily Podcast. But everything leading up to noon was like, hallelujah, football is back. And then Aaron Rodgers and company playing basically a home game because there was no fans in the stands. Yeah. Marched down the field for three hours back and forth and destroyed the Minnesota Vikings yesterday. And so now we have to sit here and deal with the reality that this team has a lot of work that it needs to do on itself. Among the top three worst um, coach games, game plan-wise, by Zim and his staff since he got here in 2014. 2014, I sort of give him a uh, mulligan on based on the fact that those really weren't his players and that was a, a struggling team and he was trying to set what Patrick Royce loves to call a culture. Um, but starting with 2015, when that did become his team, I think, Phil, this is among the top three worst games that he's coached based on this statement, okay? No preseason games, limited training camp. Yesterday's game around this league was all about, A, knowing your team, and B, preparation because you know your team. All right? Mike Zimmer coached a great game on Sunday. If you take the 2017 Vikings, resurrect them to where they were back then and put them out there. All right? That team could have come out and played the exact game that Mike desired and wanted. And even in an empty stadium, it probably would have been close. I'm not assuring a win, but it would have at least made sense. Instead, he coached as if he was coaching that team with a group of uh, defenders who have largely been remade. There's been huge changes. Um Zimmer's lack of understanding of what he was getting his team into, to me, was, the more I think about it, somewhat alarming. Aaron Rodgers, let's see. Let's let's weigh the scales of cooked quarterback against Hall of Famer going to Canton, okay? Let me put, let me put some ingredients on the scale. Okay, let's see here. Let me put one young cornerback, Holton Hill, who hasn't played much advantage Rodgers. Let me let me now put two cornerbacks who ha- have not played a ton, but one is okay, Mike Hughes. Oh, wait, wait. I've got a third-round pick to put on that scale um, uh, in Cameron Dantzler. Oh, wh- whoa, what's happened to my scale? How do you not understand that? Like, like in the pass rush, Daniil Hunter's out. What, why did you get so cute with the fact that you still have not announced what's wrong with your left Pro Bowl defensive end? You still have not told the world. He's got a neck problem. It was up to Courtney Cronin to tell us that. Um, if your plan was to be like, well, we'll still get a great pass rush. Like he did Mike Zimmer defensively, and I guess by extension his son and Andre Patterson, who are the co-defensive coordinators, did absolutely zero to compensate for the losses they suffered. 
Well, I think that's a great introduction, reintroduction to an oldie but a goodie here. Now on Mackie and Judd. This chart makes it as clear as I can to you. The pie chart of blame. You want to blame somebody? I have a feeling I, I know that Mike Zimmer is going to get at least some of Judd's pie chart of blame here. But Judd, why don't we let, let, just continue with the floor here. Uh, we're going to do pie chart of blame and pie chart of praise. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. After each and every Vikings game. Yes. And uh, obviously uh, blame is the pie that we choose today because the Vikings got waxed at home by the Green Bay Packers. So you can divvy it up however you want. If you want to dish out just one piece of pie and say that oh, this person that. gets blame. Yeah, that's not me. Oftentimes Judd will give out like 15 pieces of pie. That might be pie. you. It might be you a little bit more than me. It's never me. Does the pie require NFL films music? You know what? I think so. I think so too. I think uh, I think when in doubt, NFL films music is always the pie way to go and NFL here. films music. What else do you need in life? So, Judd, The Rock knows how you feel about pie. Continue on your path here. How would you divvy up the pie chart of blame for a Vikings loss, giving up forty-three points to the Green Bay Packers yesterday? So, I divvied this uh, pie chart up on Ventline originally yesterday, and I made a couple. I've made uh, one small change here, but I really, pretty much, my gut instinct as we did. Vet line and I was in the stadium stays pretty much the same. Okay, I will start from the bottom and go up. The only change change that I've made and it's very slight. Uh, yesterday I gave ten percent of the blame to the offensive line. I'm going to take it down to five percent and I'm going to give ten percent to Cousins, but it's splitting hairs. So if you chose to go in the direction that I did on Sunday, I certainly wouldn't debate that point. But I'll go five percent. O-line, which got off to a rough start after that initial scoring drive that ended with the Dalvin Cook touchdown run. Uh, 10% on Cousins, the fourth and three throw that you played the highlight of, or low light was terrible. Uh, the, the pick on the ball he threw behind Thielen that led to another Packers score was an awful pass and changed or helped change the tone of that game. So 10% to Cousins. Uh, 20% to the defensive line, which got basically no push whatsoever. It was it was not good, and it's not entirely surprising. But again, I really thought, as far as pressures went, that Zim would have something up his sleeve. Like I know he doesn't like to blitz, but you know how long have we been talking about? Can you get Anthony Barr to do something more? Like yesterday, wouldn't that have seemed like the time to do that? They didn't do it. So twenty percent defensive line. I guess the term is pressure. There was no pressure. Aaron Rodgers all day to throw. Twenty percent defensive backs. I almost don't blame them. I almost absolve them, but I have to. But I have to include them. It was awful. And look, Aaron Rodgers, to the day that he retires from this league, is going to be good enough to exploit defensive backs who have no idea what they're doing. And I think starting with Cam Dantzler, that is the definition of what we saw. They did not know what they were doing, and I don't even know it's their fault. And weird that uh, first-round pick Jeff Gladney did not play. I do not believe a snap. My only guess is they're uh, still concerned about the meniscus injury he had surgery on in his knee. But a- anyway, so that leaves us with a big chunk of pie, a very big chunk of pie. I believe it's 45% of the pie. Wow. It goes to Zimmer and the entire coaching staff. It has to include a little bit, just a little, little side, a little dessert of Koob's. Uh, because that fourth and three call came out of a timeout, and I know that ultimately it sounds like Kirk decided to go to Sharp, but Kubiak very specifically, according to Zim in the Zoom call post game, said, "Can I take a shot?" It's fourth and three. Let's save the shot for first or second down. Like you're not. No, 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 no. You weren't playing again. Know your team. 
I did love the decision to go for it. I was. I, I did too. I'm with you there's, completely. There's been yeah. a lot of times in Mike Zimmer's career where he's been quick to punt on fourth but and why? one, fourth and two, and so going for it is the first good but, step there. But if you know where your team is at at that point in time, why is the question like? Can I take a shot on fourth and three? Is um. In the year of the pandemic, probably a week eight question. Here's the other thing, real quick. Like on 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 those situations where it's fourth and short, or like obviously ninety percent of the time, do something that is less risky to just move the chains. That's right? what like I'm saying, that, right? But 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 hold on, but yeah. sorry. If if someone breaks free, if someone breaks free wide open because sure. of a play design, yes, throw the ball over the top. But if you're looking out and you're surveying the defense, mm-hmm. and this is just as much on Kirk Cousins. And it's fourth and three, and you know that you just need a small handful of yards to move the chains. Mm-hmm. And your go deep option is your fourth wide receiver on the depth chart, maybe fifth. Let's let, let's say fourth in Tajay Sharp. Yes, and he's covered. Don't throw the ball. <laughs> okay, but it doesn't make sense. But you could have come to me. So Coobs is in the press box at about the fifty in the coach's box, right? You know, Zolgad not as good, probably the twenty-five. But if Coobs had to run down to me during that. Time out and said, Judd. Hey, Judd, Judd. Judd, you know Kirk. What do you think? I would have said, Gary, sit down for one second here. We don't have much time, but sit down and listen to me. Do we know Vikings players? And he'd be like, yeah, I think so. I, I coach them. And I'd say, I watch them. I listen to them. Asking Kirk in week one of a pandemic, uh, basically, lead up to the season to take a shot right now and to trust him to do the shot right is out of Kirk's wheelhouse. I don't think that's I don't think that's a surprise to say that. See, I actually think a deep shot in the right circumstance is very much in the bin of things that I would want Kirk Cousins to be going for. Agree completely. Not in that exact spot. Agree completely, the, but the, the decision was right, the process was wrong. Right, but when you are when you are taking these guys and throwing them into a week 1 game in which it's very clear that there are that basically there've been some misjudgments about where guys are at. Uh, and giving Kirk even the option that Tajay Sharp is on the field in week one. Again, maybe week seven, this season, fourth and three, it's completely different and you catch a team by surprise. I just absolutely hated the thinking once they pulled the trigger on fourth and three, and I'm with you completely. So 45% coach to coaching. Okay. So recap, so 45% okay. coaching, you're blaming mostly the coaches. I am blaming uh, 20% on the defensive backs, 20% on the defensive line slash uh, pass rush, 10% on Kirk Cousins, and 5% on the offensive line, which was not spectacular. In the the first Rock time. knows how you feel about pie. The pie chart of blame is off to the races here. All right, I'm going to give you my pie chart of blame. All right. Here. I got, and we'll give we'll give Declan the floor after this. Thank okay. you. I've got four chunks of pie here. I'm being very efficient with my pie. I'm trying to decide if I want to start with. All right, I'm going to start with the smaller pieces of pie and build up like Judd did. Okay, and our pies are similar in some ways, but very different in other ways. And I'll just leave it at that. All right, <laughs> I'm going to go 15 percent to Mike Zimmer slash coaches. So you gave 45 percent. I'm giving 15 percent to Mike Zimmer slash coaching. Hmm. Mostly for not finding better ways to dial up pressure. I mean, I don't think there is any scenario, just based on the fact that you had such inexperience in your secondary at the cornerback spots and Daniil Hunter was out. Like, there wasn't really a scenario in which you were going to hold the Packers under 20 points in that game. The Packers, Aaron Rodgers was going to carve up young secondary guys. He just was. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. We brought up the Josh Robinson game from a few years ago on Ventline yesterday. But was there a way, one Zimmer saw early on, all right, a lot of different factors in play here, or not in play, you know, compared to your normal home game. 
What was the second half adjustment to just be able to make it a little harder on Rodgers to find Devontae Adams? You know, like, why is Devontae Adams catching 14 passes or whatever it was? He caught like 10 passes in the first half. Okay, like at some point, move more chips to the table of making Rodgers uncomfortable and and getting Devontae Adams out of the offensive game plan. And it just kind of felt like the Vikings stayed the same for three hours and banged their head against the same wall. So fifth, I'm putting 15% on Mike Zimmer and the coaching staff. Okay. This is where you're probably going to, like the rest of these, you're probably not going to like. 15% on lack of off-season workouts and preseason games for two main reasons. All right. Number one, the tackling was atrocious yesterday. Not just in that Vikings game, but watching Red Zone Channel in the afternoon too. Like Tackling was bad across the league, but there were some plays early in that game where the Vikings like could have had... Uh, you know, maybe it was an 11 yard game that should have been a three yard game because yeah. someone misses a tackle, yeah. right? And the fact that these guys have not tackled in a game, whether they're coming from college and they're rookies, or whether they're coming from the last Vikings playoff game in the middle of January, it's been nine months, sometimes ten months since these guys last tackled. Not to mention Cam Dantzler, Holton Hill, and Mike Hughes. They just haven't collectively played that many games in the NFL. Like Mike Hughes has played the most games out of all those guys by far. And so when you're facing, especially in the case of Cam Dantzler, hey, buddy, you are the starting outside corner against a surefire first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback and one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And they're going to be hunting for you throughout the course of this football game. Um, And this is your first time really feeling out true in-game NFL speed. It was just sort of a recipe for disaster and failure because they didn't have the preseason to ramp up. Mm-hmm. So 15% Zimmer coaches, 15% lack of off-season workouts and preseason games. 20% of my pie chart of blame goes to... The Rock knows how you feel about pie. Daniel Hunter's injury. He's one of the best defensive players in the NFL. He's a Hall of Fame edge rusher, and he has uh, he's the quickest ever to get to 50 sacks in a career. And to just take him out of this matchup is a huge deal and just deserves 20% of pie on its own. And that leaves me with... The Rock knows how you feel about pie. 50%. Can you guess? Your cousins? Cousins is not in my pie chart. Okay. Thought about putting him on there. Okay. 50%? Don't throw that stupid interception, Kirk. I don't know. What's 50%? What's lack, happening? Lack of crowd noise. Wow. This is that the biggest This is the biggest excuse pie chart I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't so, know about this. so so hear hear me out, okay? okay. All right. Aaron Rodgers on the second play of the game. So so when I when I when I say this, not only like what happened in in the in the 5 yards the Packers got here, but like mentally if you're the Vikings defense and you're the coaching staff, yep. what this signifies for the next 3 hours. U.S. Bank Stadium, yep. it's a home game for you. Yep. And Aaron Rodgers on the second play of the game draws you off sides with a hard count. A hard count in your own stadium. Green and then later on, mm-hmm. he winds up drawing a free play on the same hard count. It was like early in the third quarter or late in the second quarter, somewhere close to the middle point of the game. Right. And he hits, uh, is it Scantling, I think, down the right side Val- for Valdez like a 40-yard yeah. pass yep. on a free play. Aaron Rodgers is getting free bleeping plays and drawing Vikings defenders offsides with with hard counts. But this is and he and one more thing. He was as comfortable in this game as he would have been at Lambeau Field for three hours. I would take your pie chart and put one hundred percent then on coaching because they could have come to my house in St. Louis Park and sat down and said, "What's going to happen?" And I could have told them all of the things that you just said. The Rock knows quit, how you feel about pie. Quit being cute with what's wrong with Daniil 
Hunter, and let's figure out a way to get pressure. By the way, Mike, there's going to be no noise. It's Rodgers. Oh, by the way, you're starting. You're basically going to be playing three corners with no experience. You know what you have to do? You have no choice. You have to sell out to get pressure on this quarterback or he's going to kill you. By the way, if you sell out on quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, too, they probably carve you anyways. Right, but, but I'd rather at least fire those go, bullets. Exactly. Go down swinging. Yeah. Like, what did they do? They went down in this passive, well, we don't have this going for us and we don't have that. I mean, they look completely unprepared coaching-wise for what was going to hit them. You made these choices to make these changes, which, by the way, is absolutely fine. Michael Pierce opted out. That's not your fault. But they were... Three three of your things, Phil, speak to the fact that they weren't prepared for things that we've been talking about if you listen to us. Yeah, and I and, weeks. I and I think that frustrates me. I don't disagree with any of those things that it did feel like it caught him off guard, like, oh that wouldn't have happened if there was crowd noise, or what do we do? But I think there's only so many counter punches. Like the the fact that you have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time being able to walk up to the line of scrimmage very calmly. With no noise whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Look around. Like it, yes. it was quieter in that stadium than it would have been if it were a home game for him at Lambeau Field. Even though, like, because, like, these drunken idiot Wisconsin fans are still, you know, when the Packers run offense. It's, it's the most quiet, church-like environment that yeah. he's ever going to have in his NFL career outside of when they play the Chargers in, in San Diego slash Los Angeles. And he gets to walk up to the line of scrimmage, calmly survey with no noise anywhere, mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. then just sort of like tell his offensive line, oh, hey, uh, yep, blitz coming off the edge over here, so let's move protection. And, ho- uh, hey, Devontae Adams, just go find Cam Dantzler, and I don't even need to but use hand got, signals. We can just we can just talk because it's to, quiet. At least act, act like you've game-planned for what was going to occur in that game, and the Vikings did not. And, by the way, there, there was, you know, that stadium was a uh, – was as quiet as could be for both teams as well, and the Vikings' offense absolutely at times looked inept. I just, I felt like the whole game caught them by surprise, and I don't know how when when the elements that were working against them didn't just come out. Like if you had, if Mike Zimmer and his coaching staff and Spielman had taken all of the time that they used trying to be cute about Hunter and not tell us, and they still have not told us, okay taken all that time and said my god we got to do something here like we're gonna have to do we're gonna have to do something that we don't ordinarily do and mike i don't want to hear well my defense works because that's what you know he likes to say my defense works well no it didn't so what were you gonna do what were you gonna change instead instead of trying to basically mislead the outside world lead your team yeah so that's what i I, I know but but i almost feel like Obviously, my my list and my pie chart is much more like excuse laden and scapegoaty than yours is. Like you're, we're we're both agreeing on most of the elements that happened in this game, and and I'm kind of saying, so you're screwed because there's no crowd, you right. have no Daniel Hunter, and you're kind of saying, well, like they should have come up with some sort of an adjustment. And I but guess my swinging. question would be like, mm-hmm. what's your adjustment? So so just to recap, fifty percent lack of crowd noise. Daniel Hunter injury. So I've got 70% of the blame on no Daniel Hunter and and the inability to make Aaron Rodgers' life miserable through crowd noise and energy and things like that. 15% Mike Zimmer and 15% lack of offseason workouts and preseason games. Just quickly, two things. Number one, you had a ton of practices that nobody watched. You had every chance to move, at least on some plays, Anthony Barr to an end position and have him rush. You didn't. More importantly, long-term, how many shows did we talk about? You know what the Vikings really should do? Sign a veteran cornerback. Doesn't have to cost you a ton, but somebody who can sort of stabilize things. Guess what they could have used yesterday? 
a veteran cornerback. It's those type of things. It's just those aren't second guesses on our part or my part. Those are things that we talked about initially, and they never got to because they thought it's going to work. Well, guess what? Yesterday didn't work. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. All right, Dex. Okay. My little chunk of pie here. My, how, uh, how many ch- how many corona, pieces of pie do you have? Let's say my Corona uh, influenced Ooh. pie here. <laughs> uh, no pun intended. Uh, I have four chunks of pie. Four chunks of pie. I'm going to start with the uh, biggest and then go down. Okay. So I'm going to go sixty percent. Sixty percent of this pie. Wow. Is on Mike Zimmer. Wow, you guys. Sixty percent of this pie is on Mike Zimmer. You guys are like you guys are like the ones who watch those cooking shows on Food Network. And it's Chef One versus Chef Two, and they have to they have to just like use the ingredients that they're yeah. given. And Chef One gets like a bacon wrapped filet mignon and some uh, some buttered and sea salt asparagus, and like just go heat it up and serve it. And Chef Number Two gets like a nine iron and some bubble gum, and you have to make a meal out of and it. The you che- guys are ripping Chef Two. No, no, Chef Two had the chance to go shopping and elected not <laughs> exactly. to because he got too haughty and said, "Oh, I can win this competition." Well, then here, okay, don't sorry, be cute. Sorry to derail this, but. If you're going to place, if you guys are going to place this much blame on Mike Zimmer, shouldn't you then be placing blame on Rick Spielman for crafting a roster and drafting 15 rookies and whatnot? Absolutely. Lack of preparation across the The board. Rock knows how you feel. All I'm saying is he had the meal kit for a week and he still screwed up the meal. That's my point. Like (laughs) he had all the ingredients, he knew what he had to do, and he still burnt the bleeping meal. 60% of this pie is on Mike Zimmer for not being able to figure out. How to scheme and get pressure on Rodgers. You knew Daniil Hunter was basically going to be out for a while. That's why you got Ngakwe. And sure, Ngakwe has a slow time to get up to the playbook. But still, you got to figure out a way to pressure Aaron Rodgers. So 60% of this is on Mike Zimmer. 20% I'm putting the blame on Aaron Rodgers. And I'm kind of putting that also like on myself. So what I mean by that is Aaron Rodgers is still really damn good. Yeah, and I thought correct. he would still have some problems. And Aaron Rodgers proved me wrong. He was probably the best quarterback in the league yesterday. I mean, dude, he, he dissected the Vikings defense. Dude, people talk about Aaron Rodgers like, well, it's just because he's not quite as good as he was five years ago, then he's Ryan Fitzpatrick. I know. It's like, no, he's ridiculous. And, and that's, a, that's a bad assumption on our part. I actually like Aaron Rodgers the person a lot. I know that's more of a hotter take than in general because he is kind of a weirdo and he's definitely a black sheep. But I, I respect the hell out of him a lot for just being honest. Uh, but he is still unbelievably good. So I'm going to blame Aaron Rodgers for basically dissecting the hell out of this defense. 15% of the blame I am putting on Kirk Cousins. 15%. Now, the Vikings offense only had like 18 minutes of time of possession, which was, I guess was the lowest possession rate in like the last 40 years of any NFL team. So hard to get into a rhythm. But at the same time, classic, classic Kirk Cousins. Okay, he takes the safety. Let's just like take that away for a little bit on uh, on the offensive line and cousin. Just understand, like, okay, it's a safety. You're back up on your own two yard line. The risk of getting a safety is already going to be there. Okay, and then afterwards, you're still not able to come up with anything else in the next few series to put your team back in the game. You throw a fourth and three bomb. What the hell are you doing? Garbage time points in the fourth quarter. Like classic Kirk Cousins. I don't want to put a big chunk of the blame on him, but he definitely deserves some of the blame. So fifteen percent of this blame. Goes to the quarterback, yeah, Kirk Cousins. It is one of those funny games where where I tweeted this at halftime, and people dug it up after the game. But I, I said, because they were down by whatever it was. The halftime score wasn't that bad, I guess. It was 22 to 10. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they were down by two touchdowns. And I said, this is one of those games where everything's gone wrong in the first half, and you just kind of want your $33 million quarterback to rise above it all and just like win the game for you. Yeah. And he, you know what? To his credit, he played well in the second half. 
He found Adam Thielen a couple times, but to your point, it is such a classic Kirk thing where when your back's against the wall and there's nothing to lose, but it's also like sort of too much to to ask that you win it, that he performs well in that well, scenario. Right. Like if, you're probably not going to come back and win it, so then he's going to be lights out. If the Packers hadn't scored, so the, the Packers scored, I believe, on their final three possessions or so, and the Vikings followed each one of those scores with their own score. If the Packers had not scored on each, the Vikings don't score after. Kirk is the master at chasing <laughs> the game. But you know what? Again, you can call my cell phone and I'll tell you these things. Like everything about the fact that it's why you can't go down as much as they did against a good team. Now, if it's Denver last year, you absolutely can. And then Diggs goes crazy and you come back. But everything that transpired yesterday was very predictable, including including Kirk's chasing the game stats, which are going to Canton today. They're so good. Yeah, and even in that fourth quarter, right, you, you get Adam Thielen. So now it's a believable at 11-point game with 12 minutes left. Okay, so it's a two-possession game with 12 minutes left. This game's still completely in reach. And yeah. then Rodgers still dissects you. The defense can't stop. And then Cousins pads his stats with two extra touchdowns. And, again, classic Kirk Cousins. Uh, final chunk of the pie, just 5%. only have 5% remaining of said pie. I like it. I'm putting on just no fans. The, the idea of no fans, not being able to get to Rodgers, and also, like, just... I, I, I even want to put no fans and labeled as like COVID situations, like lack of a training camp, lack of preseason. Like I want to put a small chunk of this pie as the why you lost this game. I don't think it deserves a whole big chunk. It's just a little sliver, but 5% of no fans, lack of preseason games, abbreviated training camps, etc. I would say that that's my chunk of pie. I think though that your last chunk of pie Dex, comes back to what I said at the outset of the show which is I think the teams that were successful or have been successful in week one so far for a large part are coached by uh, guys that understand their team pretty completely. And so, because this is weird, and and you had to look at and know what your team with basically close to as no preparation in a sport that requires as much preparation as possible, with as close to no preparation as you can get, what your team and what your players as people as well as players are capable of. Like, the Rock knows how you, you feel know, about pie. If you're the Chiefs, you got Mahomes, you got that team, and you're like, okay, we're capable of yeah. opening this thing up. Um, but if you're going to deploy uh, three cornerbacks who have, have not played and the changes that the Vikings have had on defense, you really have to have a complete understanding, not of what you want to do. Like like Zim's not the not the kid who, who was hoping to get the bicycle for his 10th birthday and then didn't and goes into the big pout. You have to have an adult understanding of, okay, I ordinarily like to do a lot of X, Y, Z, but in week one, I probably just can't. Yeah, and I and I will say, even though I'm the one that's sort of scapegoating them with 50% of my pie chart being lack of crowd noise, I don't disagree with most of what you guys are saying. And I think I think this is, from this point going forward, for these home games, assuming that like even if you put 15,000 fans in that stadium at some point, let's say in October or November, it's not going to make enough of a difference to actually like make quarterbacks uncomfortable because you're not going to get the decibel levels that we, you would need to, to to make them like have to do hand signals and silent snap counts. Mm-hmm. You have to figure out a way to overcome it. Like these are now the new circumstances, and it's on you, as Judge just said, as the adult in the room, as the head coach. It's on you to overcome this going forward. It also exposes some of the things like when when you take away these home field environments. It really shows you how much the Vikings have historically since the 90s really leaned on packed indoor stadiums to make life miserable and uncomfortable for opposing offenses. And they don't don't mistake me here. They should not have to apologize for that. 
They should not have to apologize for the Metrodome atmosphere and for U.S. Bank Stadium. But when you take it away, it really makes it a lot harder as a coach and as players to, to actually like create a level playing field. It really comes down to how good you actually are at playing defense now. Yes. Because the crowd's not there yes. to help you. It's a little bit like it is when you go on the road in some of these big playoff games. And the Vikings, San Francisco, Philadelphia have not had success defensively um, in, the, in the biggest of games. That is your pie chart. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. Of blame for a Vikings loss. A complete ass-kicking at the hands of the Green Bay Packers. 43-34, and it was not that close. Most points allowed by a a Zim coach team since he got here in 2014, and that includes 2014. (sighs) Second most yards allowed. Most yards allowed at home. And like Dex said, they basically did not have the football. No. In fact, I think I saw... So it was 18 minutes of possession for the Vikings, and I think somebody, like Pro Football Focus or somebody... Uh, whatever outlet has been tracking time of possession since like the early 2000s said it's the lowest time of possession that's ever been tracked in an NFL game since like in the last 15 or 20 years. It's amazing. Yeah. And they still put up 30 points. Good for Kirk. 24 and 24 in the fourth, baby. <laughs> chasing, no the, chasing the game, man. Chasing that Football. game. Uh, boys, uh, let's let's go right. We, we are going to break down a Twins game like it's a football game, but let's go around the horn here and also discuss the biggest things that we learned across the NFL in Week One. So pick pick your favorite thing here, Judd Zolgad, Declan. We'll circle around um, of all the football that you consume. Judd was mostly at the stadium all day, so no, you I didn't got get home. to watch Red Zone as much. No, as we I did. I did get get home to watch the end of the late afternoon games on Red Zone. And then the entire Rams game against the uh, Cowboys, which so I've got three things, and I'm gonna, but I'm going to go with my top one here, and that's this. And I saw this when when I did uh, get get home, and our boy Scott Hansen was going around games on Red Zone. <laughs> Dude, he was ready, man. He hasn't slept in nine months. Mm-mm. He's just been. I'm like, such a fan. Waiting. It, it's great. Does he even it's know that COVID great. happened? He's just been like <laughs> sitting in his basement watching. Every game from last year. I think the question is, does he care? And the answer might be very much no, because it's always all about football. Uh, I'm going to go with my top thing on my uh, notepad here, which is because I think this guy is for real, and I think that the NFC West is going to be fantastic. Uh, I'm going to go with, I learned that Kyler Murray is reminding me that he's going to be good as I think he's going to be. It's a big win. Kyler Murray, yeah, you, you go in to San Fran, and by the way, too, in in some of the game and then subsequent highlights that I saw, the Cardinals looked pretty good physically as well. Like that that San Francisco team kicked the Vikings' ass, and this Cardinals team looked pretty tough. Murray had some great runs. No uh, longer can we say that such and such team went into such and such place, though. Like when you said that they went into San Francisco. Oh, okay, but th- that's fine. But I'm just saying, if you if you played if San Francisco came here right now, they're a pretty Physical tough team. The point being is the Cardinals played them tough. Murray looked great. I love this kid. I think that if he's not going to be in uh, 2020, I think he's on the precipice of being an MVP type of candidate. Yeah. Uh, and and I thought that the Cardinals and Murray in particular were going to be good this year. I really think that now and that division with the Niners, the Cardinals, the Rams, the Seahawks. Yeah is going to be an absolute bloodbath. It's going to be great. But but I do I do think that by the end of this year, if not sooner, 
Uh, the quarterback pecking order in that division is very much going to be Russell Wilson one, Kyler Murray two, and then w- we can talk about I think uh, Goff three, actually. Goff and Garoppolo. Uh, and, and, and this is probably a knee-jerk reaction, but if you were to look at that division after the first week and say, all right, what's your power rankings in that division? San Francisco's fourth because they got beat by Arizona. I thought, I mean, the Rams the Rams didn't look great in that win over Dallas, but the Rams looked competent and were yeah. moving the ball around um, in the first half anyways. And Seattle, everyone always sleeps on Seattle every year because they always have these little imperfections, offensive line, or they you know, have a gap on defense or something. They in got recent the quarterback, years. man. But Russell Wilson, and one more thing on, on Kyler Murray, he ran 13 times for 91 yards and a touchdown. Yep. And on the receiving side, so Bill, buffoon Bill O'Brien, as Declan calls him, <laughs> they decide DeAndre Hopkins is a pain in the ass and we just don't need, we don't need a star receiver with our young quarterback. We're just going to get rid of him. they don't want to pay him. Yeah, they're too and, cheap. And Arizona's like, uh, okay. We'll take a star receiver with our young quarterback. Yeah. He caught 14 passes for 151 yards yesterday. Oh, he's a stud, man. He's so good. Stud, stud. He's a stud. But that team is going to be fun. That team is going to be good. And um, there's going to be plenty of playoff teams, I think, coming from the NFC West. Can there, can there mathematically be four now? There can. There can well, right? there's going to be seven. There's three wildcard teams. Seven teams, three wildcard, right? Could we see, could we see I mean, an yeah. instance? Where, That's where saying, all yeah. four teams in a division are playoff teams. Yeah. Football. All right, Declan, what, what's the biggest thing you learned from week one in the NFL? Yeah, I have. I think the biggest thing I learned, I have a few notes, but the biggest thing is pass interference is still going to be a gigantic issue. We saw it in the Bengals game with A.J. Green and Joe Burrow. Poor Joe Burrow learning uh, that life as a Bengals quarterback is going to be pretty rough, but Dude, still, pass what, interference. Like, what? It real, sorry, there's gonna, so many things that happen. Yeah, yeah, I know. So the end of that game, there's seven seconds left, and it's third down, and they're down by three inside. The, it's like they're at the, like the 10-yard line, I think. Mm-hmm. And so they took two shots in the end zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the offensive pass interference thing was an egregious. To me, it was a bad call. You don't call it, and that's or was it OPI, whatever it was. Like OPI, yeah. No, he pushed off. So I don't know if he did. Oh yeah, no, he took his arm and went bang. But either way, there's seven seconds left, and they're at like the ten or fifteen yard line, and they decide, all right, well, let's just be conservative and kick a field goal down by three. Let's send it into overtime in that spot. You're the Bengals. Yeah. What are you playing for overtime for? <laughs> Your rookie first round number one overall quarterback drove you down the field. Like take right. one more shot in the end zone. You got seven seconds left. And then kick a field goal with two seconds left. Like, what are you doing? Didn't bug me that much. And then, obviously, the one in the uh, Cowboys-Rams game at the end yesterday, too. So, just pass interference. I don't know if it's going to be an issue. And I know referees, too, didn't have a preseason either. So, I know that's a big talker. So, I think it's going to be an issue going forward. A few other ones quickly. The Lions are still the Lions. Classic Detroit Lions. What was that? And on a parlay of that, or piggybacking off it, the NFC North is going to be an absolute gong show. If if these (laughs) three of these (laughs) these four teams perform the way that they did, even with Mitch coming back, like it's going to be a gong show. Mitch came back against a high school team. The the division sucks for the most part, but I will. Except for the running backs. You see our guy? Yeah, AP. 93 yards, 95 yards in that game. They could go 0-16, and if he statistically has a good year, he will be the happiest person on earth. Yeah, Yeah, he he definitely cares more about He does not give a damn. He wants his yards. He he still wants to go after Smith's record, and that's all that he he, uh, cares about. I will say this on the PIs. Um, It's going to be a problem, too, because of... The, the replay component being taken out, I think, is going to cause officials now to err on the side of calling it more and more early on to make up for the fact that it's that it's been taken out, that they can go back and look at plays. Yeah. And then two other ones. Baker Mayfield is still Baker Mayfield. 
Okay, and look, he played the Ravens. They're very good. But if I see one more person say he has four different coaches, is this Kirk Cousins Jr.? We have more excuses for him every single year, dude. Either you are good or you're not. Like, and it, he's just a classic Baker Mayfield. And the way he I, – I, I didn't hear anything if he did anything after the game yesterday. I don't know if he did. But just he's classic Baker, man. I, eventually you rise up. No matter Freddie Kitchens or whoever the hell it is, you rise up. I don't want to hear it. Baker sometimes, Mayfield's too, so Baker. you know, this is going to blow people's minds. But sometimes when you have multiple coaches over multiple years, sometimes it's your fault. Because yes. you're not good enough to keep coaches around. Did you see – Or a leader enough. I'll tell you right now. Hot take. <laughs> Joe Burrow – is better and is going to be better and is more positioned to be the CEO of the Bengals than Baker is of the Browns ever. Not a hot take. I don't think that's in, a, yeah, in that's Bur- not a hot in, take. But, but after one game, in right. Burrow's post-game Zoom, instead of saying, oh, our kicker missed a chip shot because he got a cramp, he said, it's my fault. Yes. I, I missed A.J. Green on a pass that, in his words to quote him, a high schooler can make. Or should make and will make. I love that. And he missed something else, and he just basically said, "It's my fault." And he love did it. it. And and the way that he took the team down the field before they didn't score, I absolutely loved because he did it efficiently. He did it quickly. Baker Baker plays like his personality, which is always sort of yes. this. I'm trying. What do you want more? Do you want yeah. Burrow funny. just took him down the field. It's like bleep it. We're going down the field. I agree. Like in general, and this is, this is not just true of quarterbacks, but of all leaders in sports and probably all leaders everywhere in general, if something bad happens, take the blame for it. If something good happens, dish out praise to your teammates for it. And Baker Mayfield's like the, like the other way around. Like he does praise his teammates sometimes on the rare occasion where something good happens, but he loves to point out the the doubters and the haters and this and that. Like, how often did Peyton Manning sit up there and talk about like the things that are going on around him and the doubters and the haters? It's like Russell Wilson. Like, has that guy ever thrown anybody under the bus in seven eight years as a starting quarterback? Hell no, no. no. The thing I Football. learned, the biggest thing I learned, is that the New England Patriots once again are able to reinvent themselves. And yeah. I don't know how sustainable this is because Cam Newton has been banged up, but they said Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick said, "All right, what what do we have? What's different? Um, like what what can we? And I get that it's the Dolphins, and so like the Dolphins aren't exactly going to be a twelve and four team this year, but so we have Cam Newton. He wants to prove himself. He wants to run the ball. He's still pretty mobile, so let's just let him run the ball fifteen times for seventy five yards, two touchdowns. He also threw the ball 15 of 19 for a buck 55. That's eight and a half yards per attempt and was really, really good. And their defense was good. 21 points. They win the game 21 to 11. And so I think most people have kind of said, yeah, well, Patriots are going to be tanking for Trevor and they're not going to be relevant. I could if 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 they can scheme the way that they did and Cam Newton can stay healthy for close to 16 games. Like, why are we all so quick to say, oh, Buffalo's going Buffalo's gonna to dominate a division that they haven't dominated in 30 years? Like, let's make Buffalo earn it before we give it to Buffalo. And the, and I think that's the message the Patriots sent yesterday. Bill got, got half his team to opt out for COVID, though. I mean, my God, they're like fielding the Foxborough High School team. That's hilarious. <laughs> but, yeah. Now, it, the one thing that I'll say that I saw on the uh, from Cam in going back to watch parts of that game were this, too. I think he's gotten himself in pretty good shape. Like mm-hmm. he looks like he's definitely lost weight and he looks, and I don't know if that translates to 
not being hurt, but that definitely looks like he has gotten himself to a place where he was not, I don't think, at the end of his time in Carolina. Can I give you one more, too? Football. Okay. So so I think a, a lot of us agree. Some have thought this for a long time, and people like me have sort of caught on to it, that the process of coaches, especially veteran coaches, going for it on fourth down, had to take a step and it seems to be taking a step like it seems like we have more guys now on fourth and one or fourth and three saying if the field position is right we're going to go for it okay so that's the good news the bad news is the process of how they call the plays off those seems to be flawed zimmer let's take a shot you know coops can i take can can kirk take a shot to tajay tajay sharp possibly or thielen let's just get the three yards how about the play call last night in the game between the Rams and Cowboys, where McCarthy goes for it on that late fourth down, which is smart, but then Dak throws short of the sticks. Like, how do you not have that route go to the spot? Yeah, I, I mean... And again, I like the play call. I think the play call is very smart. Sometimes I think... Or the decision. It, I agree. Call, in that sorry. instance, I don't disagree. I think sometimes we get we, we we get outraged because a route was shorter than the first down marker, but... Think about how many yards after the catch happened because of great design plays, right? If you like a drag route underneath is designed for you to catch the pass and gain five or ten yards after the catch. So I think context is important. In general, I think uh, the Dallas Cowboys under Mike McCarthy looked a lot like the Dallas Cowboys under Jason Garrett last night. So there's gonna you so what you can take the Jason Garrett out of the Cowboys, but you can't take the I don't know what it would be, but like they look like the Jason Garrett Cowboys last night. So yeah, I just don't. I I guess I don't get that play call. Um, ultimately, not going towards at least where the spot is going to be. So if he's stuck immediately, which he he basically was, it was a nice play by the defender. He doesn't get stuck right at the first down line, which means they're almost certainly going to spot it as a first down. Yeah. And my last observation: uh, Teddy Bridgewater is back. Football. Like that was classic Teddy. Classic, classic Teddy. Let let a let two big drives yep. at the end of the fourth quarter. They were a play away from basically winning the game, essentially. And I don't know if Carolina is going to be formidable, but I'm I'm excited that Teddy Bridgewater is back. Yeah, their defense was was definitely a sieve yesterday. Yes, and they gave up the 34 points, but yeah, they came back in the in the second half, and Teddy was fine. Statistically, Teddy went 22 of 34 for 270, a touchdown, no interceptions. And uh, how about Ro- Robbie Anderson, his yeah. number one target yesterday? Robbie Anderson, who Touched played with catch. crappy quarterbacks in New York for a number of years. How do you, though, okay, here, here's my question, I guess, for Matt Rule, the new coach of the Panthers. Fourth and one, and Christian McCaffrey's not involved. Yeah, that's either either he had something physically wrong with him or you are overthinking it as yeah. a head coach. Right, yes. I know it'll confuse him. Let's take the highest paid running back yeah, let's take a, and best weapon in the NFL. And by the way, the it, if he's on the field and he's involved in the play, you might pass to him. He, you might hand him the ball. You have no idea what he's going to do. That's what makes him so good. Now, nah, that's okay. We don't no, need that. Maybe if we take him off the field, three defenders will follow, and we're only going to face eight defenders on this next play. Football. Be great. <laughs> okay, whisper it, too. If you got the blanket over. Hey, everybody. Hey. Oh. Bye. <laughs> If NFL coaches are going to wear their COVID mask around their chin, <laughs> let's just do away with, with this shenanigans. Um, somebody n- needs to tell the league that your chin does not breathe, and so therefore it does not spread COVID. 
Like everyone, this is hilarious. I shouldn't say that. A lot of them were basically took their masks and stuck them on their chin. Well, I thought you were going to go down the path of if you're wearing a mask, you don't also need to cover your mouth with your oh, play yeah. sheet, which was something that happened throughout all of the. They're they're just so used to like putting the play sheet up. Yeah, it's like yeah, you're wearing a mask. In fact, wearing a mask is probably the better way to go going forward. Yes, you know something that breathes a little bit more than these than these COVID masks, but you wouldn't have to worry about your. And, and in the case of uh, Bill Musgrave, like his play sheet was never big enough to cover up his face. That was the big. Yeah, so that, you'd have to use like a hand and the the small. Well, card. and he really thought that the small play card cover his mouth, which is like Bill. We can all see exactly what you're saying. It's not going to help. <laughs> but but I I want them all for one game to wear the Andy Reid face shield. That's what I want. I want the big face shield. That was the greatest ever. Fogging up. Even uh, Seifert just reported, too, just like a half hour ago, that the NFL teams are going to be coming down on coaches who weren't wearing masks yesterday. Like Zimmer, actually, there was times where Zimmer didn't have his mask on. Correct. So that's going to be an issue. But are they going to all... Also say that if you're going to co- if you're going to protect your chin, you're really defeating the entire purpose. But, okay, so and I don't even know that it's it's necessary during games. I just thought it was hilarious that they all stuck them on their chin. Basically, is, okay. So is this is this like a? I am just all preface by saying I am pro mask. I am keep each other safe. My dad has stage four COPD. He is as high risk as you can get. Like I am pro mask, mm-hmm. but. On NFL sidelines here, like everyone has opted into the season. All the coaches and players have opted in. They're doing daily COVID tests and getting instant results, right? Like these guys all were tested before they entered the stadium. They're not well, tested on Sundays, to be clear. But they've been tested But they're tested on the Saturday. Yes, they're tested a lot. Yes. And so these coaches are, are hanging around at practice. Like yep. what – does it matter if the coaches are wearing a mask or not during the game? Like is that just for show? Like, hey, we're going to yes. be – tens of millions show. of people are going to be watching here. Let's. It's for show. Okay. Because players don't have to, and they can't, basically, and they're essentially, on a play-by-play basis, grabbing each other and be and being as close as you possibly can. So, yeah, I, I would say that it's definitely for show. I don't think it's necessary. But that being said, you should probably just eliminate them completely if they're all going to take their uh, team mask and, uh, and stick them around their neck or their yeah. chin. So those Which are the, the most important things we learned on the first NFL Sunday. Football. There's a high drive, left center field, headed to the bullpen. It's back, and it is gone! A home run for Jeffers! And he gives the Twins their first lead. And Nelson Cruz has just tied the game. A home run into the bullpen, and it's three apiece. Driven to the gap, left center field, headed toward the bullpen again, and gone a home run. Donaldson with the fourth home run of the afternoon. It was impressive. I mean, honestly, that's an impressive series offensively that we had against as good of a pitching staff as I've seen in baseball. Like, I, there's not very many pitching staffs that I've seen in all my time in baseball that you would take clearly take over the Indians right now. They have dominant starting pitching. They have an excellent bullpen. They have guys that do many different things and can match up at a very high level in many different ways. And we went out there for three straight games and put good swings on them. Uh, good swings on them is definitely underselling. What Rocco the Twins did loves to the, Indians. the Indians. He wants he wants that team. He wants to manage that team. It's very clear. Uh, no, I think he's saying they have a good team, and we bludgeoned them with eleven bombas over the course of three games. Baldelli, give me their pitching staff any day. Uh, well, oh, yes, that's, that's not wrong. I, would, I, I think everybody would probably take yeah. their pitching staff, but uh, but Shane the, Bieber, but the Twins and the and the Twins, 
the Twins hung a loss on Shane Bieber the other night. So yep. let's uh, continue in the spirit Football. of breaking things down like their football. Let's break a Twins three-game sweep over the Indians down like it's football. I will admit, I did not watch every inning of the series this weekend. It was very fixated on Vikings yesterday, but I did see uh, all of the bombas. And um, let's just start with with the offense. Um, this is the best the offense has looked collectively and the most power we've seen collectively probably since the beginning of the season. So if the offense is coming into form halfway through September, this is the perfect timing, Judd Zilgad. Yeah, so what... Uh- Three games, a sweep, and I believe in those three games, they had two home runs on Friday against Bieber, uh, Buxton, and Jeffers, and then they had five home runs on Saturday, and and I did go to both those games. I did not watch a second of uh, Sunday's games. I just saw the highlights, but what, four more on Sunday? And so, actually, you know who had a pretty good point post game on Saturday? Wait for it, because it's going to surprise you. Eddie Rosario. And Rosario's point was this. If we were playing in a normal year right now, I think it's, what, about late May or so, right? And his point was, if you think about it, if a team heats up then, it's not surprising. So basically what he was trying to say is, because this year is now, as odd as this sounds, almost done, you know, the expectation was, oh, Bombas, Bombas are going to be coming on, on July 24th, and they didn't, but... His point's a good one, which is for a team like this to to hit its stride, it can take some time. And it's not just the old cliche of, well, it's summertime now and it's heating up and balls are going to tra- travel more. It probably goes deeper than that. Yeah, it's like you want to 200 plate appearances yeah, that's to what, get your rhythm. That was Rosario's point. And I thought it was a fair point. And uh, if we have a deluge of home runs now coming up for the next month plus or so, it could get pretty intriguing. Yeah, that's uh, I, yeah. I think we do often equate like when the weather warms up, but yeah, it's, but I would say it's probably seventy five percent just having seen it's 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 you know muscle memory and having seen pitches and just having been out there every day. Um, thing number two here to dive into. There's Football. a million. Of them. Rich Hill, gentlemen, is starting to knock the rust off a little bit here. Now, I don't think Rich Hill is going to be a seven-inning, eight-inning guy. Like, he's he's a five-and-fly guy at this point in his career. <laughs> and he ran into some trouble in the fourth inning of, of uh, was it yesterday's game? Saturday. Um, Saturday's game, getting the two and blended he did. together. He came back in the fifth and was good, but you're right in the fourth. But he finished off five very good, solid innings. And don't look now. So so just I, I know that it's been ugly to watch in certain spots, and there's been games where he couldn't get the breaking ball to to break the way that he wanted to, but he's got six starts under his belt now, mm-hmm. and he has a 3.81 earned run average, and he only has taken the loss in one of those starts, and the peripherals are starting to get there. The strikeouts are starting to come around. The missed bats are more now than they were in his first two or three starts, and so Rich Hill is starting to show some signs of life. With that, I want to go through our updated Twins <laughs> postseason rotation rankings. I was hoping you'd get to this. All right. All right. Kent, so Kent Maeda outduels Justin Bieber's brother the other day. Yeah, he's number one. So he's the number one starter. Um, Mike Pineda, not his best outing, but I'm going to say Mike Pineda is still my number two starter. And I'm, mm-hmm. gosh. Okay, Brios is my number three. But I'm still fixated on Judd's idea initially of Rich Hill starting the game. Mm-hmm. And then the soon, like the minute you run into trouble in like the second inning, Jose Brios is there. Without having to think about it overnight, you're just coming in the game. But Jose Barrios is still my number three guy. I would probably flip-flop so Barrios is the number two starter so he doesn't have to pitch in a game three that might be a deciding game. Go ahead, you guys. 
Okay, but here's here's my, here's my dilemma. It's not a problem. Here's my dilemma with who to pitch in game two. Does it also depend on where the series is at? Well, it's going to be in a bubble. Is it? Though? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'll rephrase. Games wise, as far as your lead or non lead, if you're up one zero, oh, I see. Oh, yeah. do you flip? You do? Do you have? Do you have two starters prepared to go clearly in game two and then? One in game three, based on where the so if you if you uh, play the Buffalo Blue Jays and you win game one, does that change your your decision on who starts get game two as opposed to if the if the feisty Buff, Buffalonians come here, for instance, and uh, and you win or you lose, d- does that change your game two starter? Um, no, I would I would I would set it beforehand so my so that they can sort of know when they're going to pitch. Okay, all right, because yeah. the Brios thing, I wouldn't I, get too tricky there. See, I keep I keep fluctuating on how I feel not so much about Brios' stuff because it looks like it's been really good for the last couple starts, more so about how I feel about his mental state. All right, so uh, Mighty Game 1, no question about it. He's been fantastic uh, on Friday again. It's just it's phenomenal. I mean, this guy, there is no way that they could have expected that when they made the Gratterall trade, they were getting this guy. He's been that good. I think they I think they do kind of expect it because they they see things in their pitch repertoires and know Fal- that they can get something extra. Falvey said on on a Zoom call Saturday that the one thing that he didn't know was that might have had the ability to make the adjustments that he makes mm-hmm. with his variety of stuff and that he's just so damn smart. I think that they thought they were getting a guy who had more in the tank. I don't think they realized that they were acquiring such a smart savvy pitcher. Uh might have game 1 Pineda game two at this point. Barrios game three. Um, Hill, I then bring, obviously, if I advance to a best of five, uh, I rethink that, and Hill is probably going to ha- have a spot. Um, the thing that scares me about Hill is is there is a definite expiration date on his butt right now <laughs> of when he's going to run into that rough stretch, and it's probably going to be like in the fourth or the third. You don't know when, and he's not there yet, Phil, as far as sh- uh, shaking off that rust for me to be completely comfortable. So what I have just seen in the last three weeks or so, Declan, I go Maeda, okay. Pineda, Barrios in that series. All right. I like it. I mean, yeah, I think Kentamayat is obviously still your game one starter. We, we're all in agreement there. I'm going to flip-flop. Wow. And I'm going to put I Jose like Barrios it. in game two. I, you know what? Football. Yep. With me. Jose Barrios. God bless you for that. Game two. You want Barrios not pitching the rubber game in game three. He's going to he's gonna mentally freak out. But what if I'm yes. up 1-0 and I can close it out in game two? Do I? Exactly. Then, you, then the Barrios he's can fine. close it out. Exactly. There's no, there's no pressure. Right. If, okay. All right. I mean, there's some pressure, but like, well, it's, yeah. it's okay if you lose this because we still have Pineda tomorrow. Jose, go do your thing. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm very flexible here. I think that's what, exactly what I'm doing. So Barrios okay. goes game two, and it's still a handcuff with Rich Hill. Rich Hill's coming into the game, I think, as a handcuff in the sixth or seventh inning. He's going to have to start warming up at noon. And that's fine. <laughs> if that, start stretching. Whatever it takes, Richard. <laughs> totally down with it. But then Michael Pineda for game three because you know what you're going to get in Pineda if you have to go to the rubber match. And I don't know what I'm going to get from Jose Barrios in this possible handcuff with Rich Hill in Game 3 in the event of a rubber match. Mm-hmm. So I'd go Maeda, Barrios with a handcuff to Hill, and Pineda. That was like my it. rotation. I like it. Football. As far, as far as the subject of the bubble, I want to say that the first round of the playoffs are all going to be at the, at the higher seed, and then I think they're going to bubble after that. 
Okay, so what is we're going to play a Taylor Rogers clip, who is the yeah. Twins player rep. But what's the latest news on the bubble? Have you guys seen like they're close to finalizing something? Players aren't happy about the fact that I believe baseball has said if the families are going to come into the bubble, they have to pre quarantine themselves, and and players are also upset because. They want their families to come in, into the bubble because if they don't live in cities in which they're playing, they don't know really, do, you, do I leave my family behind? My answer would, would be just have them go home to your home, but I think so players are Here's Taylor Rogers. Mostly a lot of guys' issues right now is is the late notice and not having anything set in stone. Um, do we have to move out of our places? You know, things like that. We're going to be on the road in Chicago for a week. You know, originally they wanted us to start that quarantine period in while, um, in the middle of our Chicago trip. And, uh, you know, guys got places to move out of, and that's not even counting where their families are at, kids and wives and stuff like that. So uh, right now we just want answers from MLB and, and something that we can do because um, it's time sensitive. And we leave on the road today, so we're all a little frustrated. This is such that. a like last minute haphazard ridiculous baseball. thing that Major League Baseball is trying to do. Of course of course they're of doing course. this like at the 11th hour and and they're and they're and they're saying, "All right, well, well we're going to do this like if they had planned this back in May, June, July leading up to the season saying, "All right, the season's going to take place at home ballparks." But you have 3 months to prepare mentally, logistically for a bubble. Yes. It's like, why are they just planning this now? They've literally had six months to figure this out. Because they are they are taking their cues at this point from everybody else but themselves. So here's what I would say is fair as far as this bubble concept goes. Which, by the way, I do like the concept, but Phil, you're right. Why this was not done months ago is ridiculous. I would say baseball has gotten to this point of trying to go to a bubble because they want to get the playoffs done once they start, which they should, because it's going to be quick. Uh, and if a team gets infected, you know, you shut them down then. And then what? You back up the dates. You can't do that. So I I think that baseball, because this is all an end game to getting their TV cash. I think baseball should pay for every player that has to move back home. I don't care what, but baseball should be on the financial hook for the arrangements and the money, and I don't care how much they lose. If you think of something this late in the game like they did, the punishment to baseball should be financial. Yeah, I agree with that, and it's accurate. Uh, I got one more thing for you guys here for sure. So you brought up uh, the Buffalo Blue Jays. If the Twins play the Buffalo Blue Jays in the first round. Third team in New York, man. State state has three teams again. I've got news for you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Twins are going to play the Yankees in the first round. Have you taken a look at the, yes. the detailed standings here and it's, what's happening right now? It's, most, it's most likely. So the, the playoffs are almost exactly set at this point. There is a little bit of question now. Now that the Yankees have won five straight games, they've kind of pulled them. They are one of the wildcard teams. Uh, uh, because they've got two teams in their division that are above them in the standings. The Astros are the second best team in the American League West, but they're under 500. So, so the Astros are 23 and 24. They're really the only team that's still kind of in question, mm-hmm. unless one of these teams that's a handful of games above. Five. Everyone else is at least five games above 500. The Yankees are 26 and 21. The Indians, even after being swept, are 26 and 21. The nine seed is four games under 500, the Mariners. So they'd have to clear four games on one of these other teams, and the Mariners aren't that great. So really, it's kind of like, can the Mariners catch the Astros in the West and put that aside? So the way, I'm, I'm going to try to explain this in as, as non-confusing a way as possible. 
the way that the American League standings and the National League standings are laid out, seeds one through three are the first place teams in the three divisions. Seeds four through six are the second place teams in the three divisions. And the last two seeds, the seven and the eight, are just like the next best teams. So who are the fir- who are the best third place teams in e- in any of the three divisions? And those are your wild card teams. Okay. So the White Sox are just off the chart. The White Sox are thirty and sixteen. Uh, that's a game up on the Twins. The Twins could conceivably get to that number one seed, yeah. and and could and could change their fate here. But let's just assume that the Twins have locked in the number two seed in their division. Okay, they would then play either the number two team from the East or the number two team from the West. Well, the number two team from the West is under five hundred. So you can take them out. So what I'm saying is, if 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 the Twins have locked in the number two seed in the in the Central, they will play the number two team from the East. Right now, that's Toronto, but the Yankees are a half game back of Toronto, okay. and neither one of those teams is likely to catch the Rays, which are like three games clear and have been playing great baseball all season long. Mm-hmm. I think now that the Yankees have, are starting to get players back and they're starting to get their groove back. I think the Yankees are better than the Blue Jays. I think they will overtake the Blue Jays, but I don't think they're going to catch the Rays, which means I think the Yankees are setting themselves up to be locked into the two seed in the East, which means the Twins would have to catch the White Sox to avoid the Yankees in the first round. Does all that make sense? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So we're headed for a Yankees-Twins matchup in the in the best of three series in the first round right now. That's the likely unless, scenario. Unless the, so the Twins start a four-game series against the White Sox in Chicago tonight. So the Twins could overtake. They could overtake, could overtake and go back into first place. In which case, if the Twins overtook, then the Yan- they could still play the Yankees in the first round if the Yankees are the eight seed oh, or, yeah. or, the, or the wild card team that would play the... <laughs> Bring it on, man. So, it's going to be fun. I want it. I am I'm actively rooting for a Twins-Yankees three-game series. Let's just rip the bandit off and do it again. Yep. My last That's thing, happened. boys, I had the worst night of my career on Twitter Saturday night, and I'm not kidding. Football. The worst night of my career. It, it was comically bad. It was Vikings Packers bad, and what I don't happened? mean. And it, it was I was Cam Dantzler on Saturday night. It was this bad on Saturday night. There, so I'm at the Twins Cleveland game. There's a ball off the right center field wall that was would have been a very tough play for Buxton, and he pursued the ball, and then he turned around and watched it hit the wall, and it came off and to him. And I tweeted back, you know what? This is the exact type of play that he would have tried to make crashing into the wall last year, year before. Okay, yep. And under the Judd plan, Byron Buxton reduces himself to a league average outfielder who doesn't take any chances and thus negates all value nope. as a player. No, he's just a smart, he's just a smart player. Wait, wait, wait. My comeuppance is coming. All right, so I tweet this, and I'm like, that's exactly the type of play. Cause, and, and by the way, it was a double. I believe the next guy like struck out or grounded out. End of inning. Who cares? The guy standing on second. The inning comes to an end. I'm not kidding you, probably two innings after that or thereabouts, a ball is hit to left center field. And Byron Buxton goes back, gets to the warning track, jumps for the ball. It ticks off his glove so he does not catch it. He then hits the bottom of that, of the base of that fence in front of the bullpen, which is like a chain link type of fence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Jax is back up, falls to the track. Yeah. Lays there. Rosario, of all people, has to check on him. And I'm like, oh, boy. 
I just tweeted how great it's been that he's not getting hurt and doing dumb things. And in this case, he, like, lost track of the. I don't know what happened exactly. Okay, so that's the first one, all right? So I'm getting tweets. I deserve them. Abuse. I deserve it. All right, it's not done yet, though. Worst night of my career on Twitter. Eighth inning, Saturday night. Rocco Baldelli, it was as if he looked up to the press box and said, this one's for you, Zolgad. <laughs> La Tortuga removed from the game as the catcher for mm-hmm. Ryan Jeffers. The Zolgad plan is in place. Ryan Jeffers is the catcher. He's young. He's vibrant. And halfway through the inning with a guy on third base, no less, gentlemen, the ball ticks off uh, Jeffers' glove, literally just ticks off. I'm, I'm not talking about a hard ball to stop. Yeah, and bounds, I think, towards Dex, the Twins' dugout. Yeah. The runner literally <laughs> walks home, and I'm getting tweets. So this is your plan, huh, you idiot? Nice job, Judd. Way to go, buddy. Nice job. Worst Judd's night, the, the great Zolgini. <laughs> worst night of my career on Twitter. <laughs> Never have Classic. I. I mean, I just looked so stupid the entire time. It was glorious. The great Zolgini. Hey, we, we do have to do one more thing. Uh, Sergio Romo uh, almost mm. incited World War Three. And then yesterday, so he serves his suspension on Saturday and then comes in yesterday to get the save and is mostly mild-mannered and contains himself. I really thought he was going to go with the Degeneration X crotch chops toward the Indians' dugout to end the series, but oh, no. he disappointed me. So, Okay, so what happened on Friday? What incited Sergio Romo and Francisco Lindor? Um, and what... What was the reaction from the Twins? To, like Normally sure. they've been defending Sergio Romo, but like it almost feels like they're a little bit sick of it. So yeah. explain. So uh, to go back to the last time the Twins played the Indians in Cleveland, which I think was in late August, uh, Romo, Romo came in, I think, to game one of that series. I think the Twins won and chirped at the Cleveland dugout. And then at, uh, in game three, Cleveland came back and hit him hard. And I think it was after, it might have been in game one, that when he chirped the Cleveland dugout, and I think it went back and forth. And his whole claim was they said something to me. Um, uh, he, he went into the dugout between innings in Cleveland and was chirping with Lindor and Jose Ramirez, Cleveland's third baseman. All right. So on Friday night, Romo comes in in the eighth, gets two outs. Lindor comes out, pops to left. As Lindor is going down the first base line, basically just trotting because it, it was a lazy fly ball, uh, he and Romo start chirping. And I can't tell who incited it but Lindor you can see him start to laugh at Romo but it's not like a fun thing and Romo goes after Lindor and Sano grabs Romo I think Marwin grabs Lindor um and that and the bench is cleared the bullpens came out so it was all weird but here's where it turned here's where it turned clearly that the twins on team Lindor uh, Post game, Rocco was asked about it, and he came as close to ripping a player as he possibly can. He's like, "We don't do that. We don't want that. These two guys have been talking. It has nothing to do with the rest of us." Blah blah blah. We don't like that. Uh, and then, and then Saturday morning, Lindor gets fined. Romo gets suspended. And as I, I was told by a colleague walking into the stadium on Saturday, it was almost like the Twins called the league and said. You want to suspend him for a game? We're cool with that. <laughs> because he's had the Kansas City thing, yeah. the Cleveland thing, the Cleveland thing again. And and the Lindor angle, I think, bugged Twins players. Cleveland uh, Sports, Fox Sports, did a breakdown of the incident. And following it on Friday, so Sergio's 
red hot, right? He's like yelling and screaming in the dugout. And he at one point in time, they showed a replay of him pleading his case to uh, Nelson Cruz. And you could tell Cruz is just like, no, dude, no, no. And and he's sort of pissed off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Saturday with with Romo suspended and Lindor fined but playing, he singled, got to first base, and Sano was like hitting him with, with his glove on, on the head, just as, like love taps. He gets to second. Marwin is like ta- like patting him on the back. So I think it's a combination of the Twins are tired of Sergio chirping so much, and I think Lindor is about the last guy that you probably try and make mad because it seems like the rest of the league loves the guy. Okay, so let me ask this, all right? Yeah. Honest question. What is the accusation towards Sergio Romo this season? Yeah, what, like like what like what, what what is his what is his transgression? How would you label his transgression? If this if the suspension was kind of a cumulative thing, right? You had the yeah, Royals I, thing, and you had yeah. The, that's like, why what, I wonder what, is, what yeah. is he guilty of? Um, he's he's guilt. I think in the mind of the Twins in the league, he is guilty of inciting teams in a season in which they are doing everything they possibly mm-hmm. can to avoid bench clearing brawls. And the issue comes back to, and this is not just uh, a thing involving him. The issue comes back to this: everything you chirp and say now can be heard. So he's guilty of trash talking. Yeah, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. He's guilty of trash talking, and the reaction to trash talking because it's baseball is people get super nervous and uncomfortable. Oh my god! Like, and I get your point about there might be another level here of like, wow, we don't need like the fans on Fox Sports North hearing f bombs and like that's kind of a different conversation, but. But, like, yep. at its core, people in baseball, players, managers, teammates, yes. even fans feel uncomfortable with trash talking. Yes. I love trash talking. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit torn here in that it's like if we were talking about Sergio Romo as a headhunter and he he continues to throw fastballs at the earlobe of opposing hitters, I'd be like, all right, Serge, let's, let's pump the brakes here. Sergio is fiery. He chirps he celebrates victories on the mound mm-hmm. he like if he gets a pop-up to end an inning this this pisses off opposing hitters he gets a pop-up to end an inning and while the ball is in flight before it reaches its apex he's crossing the first baseline on his way back to the dugout and and hitters feel like oh you're showing me up like wait for the ball to be caught before you celebrate the out and Sergio's like I got the pop-up <laughs> booyah like if he drops it it's not my fault like I got you out and so I, I guess all of this is to say that I love the trash talking. I don't think he should apologize for the trash talking. But because his teammates clearly feel uncomfortable with the trash talking and his teammates clearly like Francisco Lindor, which, again, like he's the best player on your biggest rival right now, but whatever, you want to take the side of him, that's fine. Um, he does have to probably play the political game a little bit in that, all right, if Nelson Cruz hates it, I'd like to know Josh Donaldson's thoughts, but if Nelson Cruz hates it, and if Eddie Rosario hates it, then and Marwin Gonzalez is like, all right, I don't want the clubhouse to be like turning on me. But let's also just make note that what he's guilty of happens every play in other sports. Go watch some of these NBA playoff games. Like literally, like James Harden hits a big shot. Now they're out of the playoffs, but like those guys hit a big shot, right? And it's like they're they're turning to their opponents on every play and staring them down and chirping, and it's like on to the next play. So, Baseball, we have a problem with. I think the thing in baseball that's weird for for this year in particular 
is it's not that fans can hear what's being said through their televisions. It's that every player on the other team, like baseball, this is, if you do what Sergio does, it's sort of like trash talk on steroids. Because if I'm on Cleveland now, I can hear everything. The NBA is like that. On right, right, though. but like, they don't they care. All... But they don't care. Baseball does. Them. Baseball does care. The question that I have for, for the Twins about Sergio's actions is this. Your manager and Nelson Cruz and a lot of your good players, not J.D., but a lot of your good players are very laid-back people. Like your team, if you were to describe the Twins, it's not this intensity-driven team. They probably, in fact, in bringing Donaldson in, needed more, right? My question for the Twins is, what are you comfortable with? Because I will say that a guy like Donaldson, who I think picks and chooses his his places to trash talk, probably is more careful about how he does it than Sergio is. But nonetheless, guys like Sergio bring an intensity that you sort of like on championship teams. So for Rocco, my question is, what are you comfortable with? Because... I do think that there is an element of what Romo brings that this team probably in some yeah. ways does need. I mean, I think I, I, I'd like to survey the Twins fan base, too, because I'm guessing that I'd say the majority of the fans probably still love Sergio and just like, ah, you might need to tone it down a little bit here and there. But I think it's hypocritical to sit here and on one hand complain that the Twins for 15 years have just been this milk toast team that gets its ass kicked by the Yankees every year. Amen. And now that they've got Josh Donaldson and Sergio Romo and some guys who show a little confidence and bravado, and you know what? When you've got that side to your personality, sometimes it crosses a line. Not like a legal line. It's not like Sergio is grabbing a bat and chasing down Francisco Lindor. He's speed walking back to the dugout because he just got one of the best hitters in baseball out. Should he be picking and choosing who he picks on? Yeah, he should pick the best players to pick on when he so, gets big right, outs. But, but that's what I'm saying. Because it's, the, it's, it's hilarious. I, I, I love it. I, I think the Twins, I think the core group of the Twins were mad that he picked on a player or got, got into an altercation almost physical yeah. with a player that they like more than him. And I and, and to that point and that's where I like that's where I hedge a little and I say, "Okay, that sucks. That's unfortunate." But if Nelson Cruz and Marwin Gonzalez and some of the other leaders in that clubhouse and whoever else are like, "All right, dude, we love you, Sergio, but not not <laughs> Lindor or not in this instance." Then you have to keep the peace in your clubhouse. So, so he has to be mindful of where his teammates want to draw the line. But I think it's important for all of baseball to continue to push that line because it's entertaining. No one's getting hurt. Who's getting hurt? I'm not arguing, Phil. Fran- First of all, Francisco Lindor is one of the I best players it. in baseball. A guy makes like $25 million a year. He's fine. Okay, so he had a pop-up and Sergio pimped it. Like, get over it. Well, it, it, all, it goes back. I think that whole thing extended back to the thing in Cleveland. And who knows where, where it goes back to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I guess my takeaway is your point about it's really hypocritical to be like, you know, who was a bore ass Joe Maurer. Yes. Joe Maurer never turned over a spread table once. Yes. And then you're like, okay, here's, here's a guy who is going to do those sorts of things. Yep. And then you come back and say, but that's not baseball. Tory Hunter once like undressed his entire uniform on the field to get ejected by an umpire. And we were like, yeah, yeah. this is amazing. He's showing fire that the Twins have lacked for 10 years. But Rocco Rocco and company are definitely, I will say this with full confidence, not comfortable with it. Well, I would say Rocco is, one one of Rocco's main great characteristics, I think, is this live and let live approach to his clubhouse. Mm -hmm. 
And so he's. Tr- I think he's trying to let players be who they are. And Eddie Rosario is a great example. He'll let Eddie Rosario make five idiot base running moves over the course of a month and like never bench him. But but and he'll make a, he'll make a comment in the post game. But you know Sergio Romo gets a couple big outs and chirps and guys get uncomfortable. Like I I would be way if I'm Nelson Cruz and I'm not I'm not trying to put words in Nelson Cruz's mouth because I don't know exactly how he feels about this. But I would be way more uncomfortable with Eddie Rosario getting thrown out at home running through a stop sign because he's just like being Eddie than I would be Sergio Romo pimping a big out against one of the best hitters in base and he might be too by so, both it's true. That's true. I don't know. So, anyways. Um, oh, oh, one last thing. And I, I did not, because I, I was at the Vikings game, see this live. Can anyone explain to me what the hell Rosario was doing as Buxton made that catch? And I guess I guess he's hurt now, but he's going to be okay, according to Rocco, which means he might be okay. But that whole sequence on Sunday where there's the fly ball to Buxton, and Buxton, like, makes the play. It's Buxton. And Rosario at the last second jabs his glove arm into Buxton's chest and hurts his and hurts his hand. It's Eddie being Eddie. Eddie what Eddie. the hell Eddie are we? Eddie. It's Eddie being Eddie. You know what? Eddie From now on, bench Eddie on Sundays because it's pretty clear he's having fun on Saturday nights. <laughs> yeah, well, he's probably having fun on Thursday nights too. Yeah. Well, there's some great drink not specials to, on Thursday not to nights. Make about Eddie, but <laughs> second best night of the week. Thirsty Thursday. That's right. All right. That's a wrap on this episode of Mackie and Judd. The pie chart of blame and praise is back. We've got some big twins games on the horizon. This is going to be legitimately one of the most fun months of Minnesota sports. And Vikings, just don't completely train wreck here. Just don't be 0-3. That's basically what we act. Don't, Don't train wreck. Uh, but that's a wrap on this episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. And remember, Daily Vikings Conversations at scorenorth.com is part of the Purple Daily Podcast. And also our two YouTube channels, youtube.com slash scorenorthmn and youtube.com slash Podcast. You guys. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup. So you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.